have you walking through those doors with your dick in your hand, right? I can't do this. Sure you can. Who knows, you might like it. It's a killer rush. Buddy, this is your fucking wake-up call, man! I am an FBI agent! <laughs> I know, man, isn't it wild? Lights, camera, action. Welcome to another episode of Happy Hour Films. My name's Ross Bacon, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike McGuigan. Mike, say hi. How's everyone doing? This is a podcast where we crack open a beer and talk about movies. This month, our theme comes to an end of one actor, two performances. And tonight, that actor is the late, great Patrick Swayze. And we're going to be talking specifically about Dirty Dancing and Point Break, along with a, a few others in his storied career. Now, before, but before we get into that, that end of the pool, let's, uh, let's discuss what beers we're drinking. Mike, what do you got over there? All right. So, uh, because of Point Break, I went for a beach theme with my beer. So okay. I am drinking Seaside Summer Wit, and it is from uh, Glastown Brewing Company in, what is it? It's not Vineland, is it? I think it is it's nearby. Vineland. It's somewhere nearby. Um, yeah, we have to, we'll have to find that out specifically. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's uh, Millville. Millville, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so what kind of beer is it? Uh, it's a... With ale. Oh, nice. I'm really enjoying it. It's uh, one of my favorites I've tried so far on the podcast, I think. Nice. What kind of, uh, kind of alcohol you got? 5.5%. Uh, oh, nice. That's not bad. Yeah, 55 is not bad. I bring that up a lot, but that's like my ideal alcohol percentage. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's, it tastes like a beer, and it has the effects of a beer, but not immediately. Also, Glastown Brewing has a 4.8 out of 5 stars on Google, so Ooh. I guess I got to try some more beer from there. Yeah, definitely. Very nice. All right, That's well. a really cool can, too. I like it. It's got uh, – has, like, an old-school feel of, like, a New Jersey uh, – Oh, yeah, yeah. type. Yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, there was uh, – I went to – because I got mine at Victor's on the White Horse Pike. And I was in there looking. I went. I was trying to do the same thing, like go for like a surf uh, theme or something like that. But then I was looking, and I did find one that was called Surf. And unfortunately, as I was looking at it, it turns out it's made by Stillwater um, Artisanal in North in North Haven, Connecticut. So it doesn't really doesn't really fit the New Jersey theme. But it's yeah. called Surf. Now I have the description of it here because there's a beer that pairs with it too by Evil Twin Brewing and. Huh. I, I'm debating on going back because they were available in single cans. I might go back and get one of each just to see how these two pair. And the surf one is an Imperial Gose Ale brewed with shrimp, lobster, lemon, and sea salt. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm not a big <laughs> seafood person. I mean, I love seafood, but it's a sour beer, which is the part that turns me off. And I don't know how those things are going to turn into a sour or anything. You know, it's yeah, that's gross. That's interesting. I've never even heard of beers pairing with other beers. Well, it was a team up. It was a team up between two breweries. So the uh, Stillwater did the surf beer and uh, Evil Twin did the turf beer. Now the turf beer is an Im imperial stout with molasses, sea salt, and beef jerky with oh. artificial colors. <laughs> That's, and yeah, the, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I would try it, but it doesn't well, sound very good no and the, the labels as well the, the surf label has this big like lobster tail on it like a cooked lobster tail and the turf one's like a cooked filet like a steak filet and it's like you look at these you go okay this is beer but it's you know very appealing food at the same time 
But so yeah, I, I didn't go to those because they're obviously they're from Connecticut. So, but the New Jersey up here I went with is a uh, beer space, B I E R space uh, from Toadwood, which is in um, Oakland, in uh, Oakland, New Jersey. Yeah, that's and, one. Of, that's like one of our closest breweries to us. Yeah, yeah, and it's a Kolsch style ale again. So I'm doubling up on the Kolsches and back to back weeks. And the reason I went with it is because on the on the cover here on the label there's like a concert kind of thing going where a bunch of people are dancing around and um, they're like dancing around. And oh, yeah. so that's obviously with the, uh, the dirty dancing theme because it looks like they're in, you know, some sort of field or whatever, almost like, you know, the country club or the, uh, that uh, up in the Catskills that dirty dancing takes place in. So that's kind of why I went with that as opposed to like, you know, Oh, there was another one I saw, which was Flying Fish, and it was it had something to do with surf and salt and something like that. But I was like, yeah, maybe I'll do that next time. Maybe I'll do that for Keanu if we come back to him. <laughs> I saw one. I think it was called, like, Coconut Sombrero or something. Nice. And it was a uh, – the, the can had a coconut and, like, a butt of weed chilling on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Apparently, it was part of their luchador lineup. The uh, the brewery has a luchador lineup. Oh, of course, that's awesome. All right. Well, now we know what we're drinking. So let's talk about the man of the hour, the late great legendary Patrick Swayze. Unfortunately, we lost him in 2009 to pancreatic cancer. But um, before he left us, he he gave us some great movies and some great roles. Awesome. Extremely uh, great movies. Yeah, specifically the two we're going to be talking about tonight, which is Dirty Dancing from 87 and Point Break from 1991. Now, we can go. I was going to ask you this, Mike, because I didn't figure it out. Do you want to go in order of the release? Do you want to go with Dirty Dancing first because it came out first? Or do you want to do Point Break, which, in my opinion, is the far superior movie? Uh, let's talk about Dirty Dancing first because I feel like we're going to have a lot more to say about Point Break. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I, I think that's going to get into the, the conversation more. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's it's interesting, you know. All because I obviously I went back and I did a big rewatch of Swayze and I watched his big ones. So I watched Roadhouse, Ghost, Red Dawn, and Donnie Darko. Well, Donnie Darko is not technically one of his big ones, but he's in it. Mm-hmm. But um, I watched Roadhouse, right. Ghost, and Red Dawn. <laughs> one of one of the one one of my favorite movies he's in. Uh, earlier one is uh, The Outsiders. Oh, that's the one I didn't go back and watch. I remember like watching that in, I don't know, it was like sixth grade whenever we had to read that book. Yep, and then like the like teacher showed us the movie. School, that's like their favorite book at one point or another because it's like the one book that's pretty tolerable to read in middle school. Yeah, and it's, it's not quite, you know, it's not quite a school level book, but it's taught in school and it's got some stuff that's not quite, you know, safe for school, I guess. It kind of feels like a little bit of a dangerous book, even though it's not. <laughs> It's funny going back and watching the movie, how many people were in it before they were actually. So many people. There were so many people in that, like Matt Dillon, Diane Lane, my future wife. Sorry, Kara. Uh, Rob uh, Lowe is in it. Everybody was in that movie. There's so many people. Uh, Emilio Estevez. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the uh, the brother of uh, Red Dawn co-star, Charlie Sheen. I forgot Charlie Sheen was in Red Dawn. It's his first ever movie. It's his first feature film. Yeah. And, um, look at the Red cast Dawn of, is uh, what, the female lead in Dirty Dancing's in Red Dawn too, right? Jennifer Grey is in it. And that, it plays into their relationship in Dirty Dancing because apparently they hated each other for because yeah. of Red Dawn. <laughs> Even yeah. though that movie was like a few years before and they both 
done things in between. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'm looking at the outsiders cast. See, see Thomas Al also in Red Dawn. Uh, Matt Dillon, Ralph Macchio, obviously. Uh, I forgot Ralph Macchio. Yeah, Swayze is Daryl Curtis, and we got Rob Lowe. It's you know, funny, it's a bit off topic, but uh, they did the Karate Kid sequel in the YouTube's premium series. Oh, uh, the Cobra uh, Kai one? Yeah. One of the best shows I've ever watched. Well, it's coming to Netflix. It's yeah, I know. Yeah, so and that's I what know. I'll watch it on. I yeah, we also got a uh, is the biggest dick ever in it. Like oh, nice. much more like like he's amazing in it. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And uh, yeah, then we got of course uh, a little a little unknown actor never did much else after that would be uh, Tom Cruise. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, Outsiders is the one I didn't go back and watch, but um, it, it's yeah. not a long movie. It's maybe an hour no. and fifteen minutes or so. Yeah, and that's that's the good thing with all these movies. They're fairly short. I think Point Break might have been the longest one. That's only yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. two hours. But uh, yeah, with Dirty Dancing, it's directed by Emil Ardellino, who was uh, who also did Three Men and a Little Lady and Sister Act. And um, obviously, this movie won it won an Oscar for Best Original Song, Private at the Time of My Life. And uh, Swayze himself plays Johnny Castle, who is the resort dance instructor, and uh, he's one of the in the slobs versus snobs crew, uh, he's one of the, I guess you call them the slobs. <laughs> and uh, so apparently Hollywood did like a string of remaking Swayze movies in the second half of the 2010s. Because the they did a Red Dawn remake with Chris yep. Hemsworth and yep. Josh from Drake and Josh. They're supposed to be brothers in that, which is pretty <laughs> hilarious to me. <laughs> um and then they did a Dirty Dancing remake in 2017. I only know this because when I went on demand to rent Dirty Dancing to rewatch it, I clicked the first Dirty Dancing that came up and they sent me to the 2017 one. I'm like, has yeah. anyone ever wanted to watch this? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like that cruel tease by Amazon. They're like, hey, maybe we could suck him into this. And he won't pay attention. He'll see Dirty Dancing. Who cares? But, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, Dirty Dancing is it's the kind of movie that... It's, I mean, there's, of course, the label to get thrown around to chick flick, you know, they, if you want to call it that. But I just find it, I, there's so much about that movie I don't like. And it's mostly the quote-unquote chick flick, like, aspects of it. And it does get, just, real, it gets real at points. Like, there are so many, like, the back alley abortion that gets performed. Yes. The, there's so Which, much that's that going was on there. A, I, I mean, obviously, I wasn't alive then, but that was one of the first times abortion was really brought up in films, wasn't it? Well, yeah, and then of, you know, I guess you'd say in like a mainstream movie, yeah, but um, in in the time period that that movie that the movie set in, because it takes place in the sixties, yeah, it's it's ten years before Roe v. Wade even was a thing, so it's very much an illegal perform uh, procedure then too, so it's really scandalous you know, plot point to throw in your movie that's taken place, obviously, in, it comes out in 87, but it takes place in 63, so it's, 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 it's a little less, you know, I guess, acceptable story-wise, as opposed to an 87 audience looking at it and going, well, this has been around for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> but and, it's, uh, uh, they, they were running low on budget, so didn't Patrick Swayze do one of the songs in the movie? He, that was his idea, too. Like, well, they, they couldn't come up with, like, the creator of the movie, 
she had all of these ideas for all of these like popular songs, you know, and they couldn't afford damn near any of them, you know, so they had to come up with their own, their own movies. And Swayze did, uh, he did the one, uh, she's like the wind. And, um, man's got a voice like an angel. Oh yeah. Yeah. He could sing. Yeah. That was the thing. And that was the thing. He kind of presented it to him like, Hey, I can also sing. Here's a song I've been messing around with. You want to put it on the soundtrack. He can dance. I mean, like, you never seen the man. You never seen a better dance performance than when him and Chris Farley did the nails <laughs> on SNL. Saturday Night Live, Chippendales, the legendary Chippendales sketch. Yeah, that's that's great. Well, yeah, that's the thing. He Swayze had a. He began as a Disney on Ice dancer as Prince Charming. Go figure. And uh, he trained. I, mean, I, I when I think of Prince Charming, I think of Patrick Swayze. Oh, absolutely. And he trained at Harkness and Joffrey Ballet Schools. He. Uh, he was actually part of the Elliott Field Ballet Company, which is a pretty uh, esteemed ballet company. And he had, he had a pretty successful Broadway run, too, that led to his movie career. And, of course, none of this would have happened had he not had an old football injury that flared up and caused him to leave the ballet company. So, like, he would, he might not, had his knee not been a problem, he might have, we might have never heard of this man until later in his career, maybe. Who knows? Patrick Swayze is a true Renaissance man. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he definitely was, you know, he could, he did a lot. And that's the thing. He was also with all of the stunts, especially, you know, in Point Break and Red Dawn, he did, a, he wanted to do all of his own stunts. Like he, he didn't well, want to believe it. really prepares you to do stuff like that more than anything yeah. else. Yeah. And it's like, he didn't want to, he didn't want to let anybody else do anything. And meanwhile, like Jennifer Grey, who plays Baby, uh, she wanted a, a stunt double for literally everything. Like there's a part where they're driving in a car in the car and she wanted a stunt double for that because there's a part where they like, they have to go over kind of like a rocky part of the road. It's like, really? Seriously. And you wonder why Patrick Swayze hated her, you know, <laughs> like you really wonder. Now this is, this is probably a shock, but this is the first time I've watched Dirty Dancing all the way through. I've seen yeah, That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's more of a, I would say it's more of a movie for for girls, women of my generation. That's kind of like their their hit because they were teenagers when they first discovered it, and it was like it was the big, you know, the big thing. Dirty Dancing is that kind of movie. My wife loves this movie. Uh, uh, is Carrie more of a Patrick Swayze or Keanu fan? Um, I I couldn't really tell you. I I would say she's probably more Swayze, but uh, we also both enjoy the vast majority of Keanu Reeves. I mean, well, she enjoys best. I love them all. I love all of Keanu. But yeah, yeah. she does. She she enjoys the vast majority of them. So I don't know. She might be on the fence with that. For those of you, for those of you who did not watch last episode, Ross's wife, Carrie, joined us to discuss uh, speed and miscongeniality. And right. Keanu Reeves got a strong feature last week, just like he will this week. Right. And yeah, and stick around for a few weeks from now when we do him again for a full on Keanu episode. We're, we're big Keanu fans. <laughs> yeah, this might just become the Keanu cast. <laughs> but um, yeah, so to get into this movie, uh, if for those who don't know uh, the plot of Dirty Dancing, it's like I said, it's like a slobs versus snobs thing. Jennifer Grey and her family, her dad, Jerry Orbach, they go to a country club in the Catskills, and there is a 
basically a class divide between the rich people that are there on vacation versus the people, the service class essentially that are there to entertain them, which is what Johnny Castle is part of. He's part of the, the dance troupe that's there to get these old people to just learn how to ballroom dance essentially. And in the free time that the, that the, um, the uh, working class has, they basically they do what's called dirty dancing. It's essentially, they just grind on each other listening to popular music of the time and they get sweaty and grind and have fun and drink and just be fun. Whereas the other side, a lot of watermelon. Yeah. 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 The, yeah. The one dude we're introduced to the one dude, Patrick Swayze's friend who is juggling three awesome. different watermelons as he's trying to carry him up the stairs. And they're huge watermelons. Like, they're gigantic watermelons. And I don't know what he's thinking. <laughs> they're like, they're like oblong and they're, they're huge. <laughs> yeah, they are gigantic watermelons. But so, so, first watching of this, my immediate takeaway is almost it. At some point in the movie, pretty much everyone is not likable. Oh, absolutely. There, there. I could, a strong point could be made that Jennifer Grey is unlikable the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, and she's like doing a lot of nice things and like the whole point of the movie is how good of a person she is which is apparently a bad thing if you listen to the stuff that jerry orbach says like her dad jake he goes through a rough week like a really rough week first he has to pay for an abortion without knowing it then he finds out that his daughter is banging one of the quote-unquote help and then he ends up giving this jackass um a med school recommendation and then in the same breath finds out that that guy is the one that knocked up uh, the girl he had to give the abortion he ended up cleaning up the whole butchered abortion. Right. He right. So then he, he goes to give this kid a rec- medical recommendation. Then the kid's like, oh, well, you know, that woman, you blah, blah. She basically is like, he's like, oh, the whore could have gotten pregnant from anybody. And Orbach's like, oh, I'm sorry. What? It takes away the medical recommendation after he just handed it to him. Yeah. So he's, he's just had, he's had a bad week. And all the while, his daughter just wants to save the world. And apparently that's a problem. Like, that's like a running gag in the movie that she wants to help people. Her sister, <laughs> like, there's nothing inherently wrong with her character. But she's the most annoying person ever. Her sister is the most shallow, self-centered. She's really just focused on trying to get laid by the jerk-off waiter guy. Like, the whole and movie. she's only in the movie for, like, like, she does not have much screen time. No, but she... But when she is on screen, she makes the most of it, especially yeah. when she sings that horrible song at the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, <it's funny. laughs> My mom walked through in the like when I was watching the movie, and she's like, oh, this girl's about to sing worse than me. And my mom yeah. did not sing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a good song or performance. And, um, and even, like, at the beginning, Patrick Swayze and all of them sort of treat uh, Jennifer Grey like trash. Oh, yeah, and it's it's almost immediate. It's because, oh, she's got the white sweater and the khakis. She's one of them, you know? it's it, There's this immediate divide that, like, apparently that's, like, the prerequisite at this place where if you're rich, you have to hate the help, and if you're the help, you have to hate the rich. But when you're around each other in public, you have to play nice. But um, And then you have, uh, what, Neil Kellerman, who is the grandson of the owner of the... Yes. Uh, okay. He's either the son or the grandson or the nephew or something like that. He's Either way, he's related to the owner and he's a And he's, he's like as close as a human can get to being a rat. 
He's Martin Shkreli, you know, the pharma bro that was charging like millions of dollars for one pill of like, you know, life-saving medicine. He's that dick. I mean, he's just, he's this guy. He's like, he's a little piece of shit. He's a little, he's a little rich boy who thinks because he's a little rich boy that he can just do whatever he wants and treat people like shit. And he's, he almost assumes that baby just wants to suck his dick because he's a little rich boy. And, yeah, and uh, he's hard. At, at one point in the movie, he was talking about some other girl that he was like hooking up with. Right. And she's, uh, apparently she was going out with this guy that was a part of the help. And he goes, yeah. what does he have that I don't? And he says, two hotels. Yeah, right. It's it's like he's playing Monopoly in real life. It's just, were you serious with this? Like, there's, and there's then, no likable the redemption. guy guy is terrible. Oh yeah, that dude. And well, that's the thing. The guy's even worse because he's an avid reader of the Fountainhead. He's got like a very worn copy on him at all times. <laughs> and he essentially does one of the, he says, and there's a little account part where he's a uh, baby uh, confronts him about, um, about Penny, about Penny the dancer and getting her knocked up. And he said, and she says like, what's the matter with you? You got to do the right thing. You got to take care of this kid or whatever. You got, you got to do be a good guy. And he says, what are you talking about? Some people count and other people don't, you know, meaning that in this world, a waiter is better than a dance instructor, which I don't know if that's accurate when it comes to this country club life. (laughs) Yeah, there's not like, obviously by the end, you like Patrick Swayze's character, which Patrick Swayze is who we're here to talk about. He's the off as a dick kind of, but like you sort of get it. Why? Well, it's part of the character, you know, he's yeah. got to grow and he's got to learn to love, you know, love people for who they are as opposed to what he immediately thinks they are. <laughs> and the single best part of the movie is when Patrick Swayze beats the shit out of pretty great. But um, yeah, there's, there's, but there's a lot of with um, Swayze's character that he brings to a lot of his other roles and specifically it's Bodie and point break is kind of the one that everyone remembers being this way, but there's a lot of his care of Johnny who at one point he says, you have to feel the dance kind of thing. You have to feel the spirit of the dance basically. And it's essentially Bodie saying, Hey, you, you'll never get the spiritual side. They'll never get the spiritual side of surfing, you know? Yeah. All of his characters, and especially in Roadhouse, Dalton's the same way. These guys are very zen, like, thoughtful guys. Like, they have a, a, a spiritual or thoughtful side to them that really guides, like, how they act and how they believe about a lot of things. And it's weird to kind of say it in this movie because mm-hmm. it's about dancing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't inherently have that kind of a side to it. It's funny because I was trying to think of like actors who I would compare Patrick Swayze to, and the one that sort of comes up is Kurt Russell. Uh, yeah. They have like a similar look, similar age, because they're, I think they were both like one was born fifty one, one was born fifty two. Right. Along those lines, but I'm like Kurt Russell is Patrick Swayze if he grew up on a farm, and Patrick Swayze is Kurt Russell if he grew up by the beach. Yeah, yeah, that's it's pretty much it yeah it's and that's the thing like especially you know with the feathered hair that he has in um like the surfer hair that he has in point break you know it's, it's a lot of the early russell look but yeah the guy they really do have a very similar like look and you can see them playing similar characters and uh so with his actual performance in 
that Patrick Swayze is obviously the standout performance in Dirty Dancing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, far and away, you see his character growth. It feels very natural. Um, even the development of the relationship, though, I did not love Jennifer Grey in this movie. The, no. the relationship felt natural. It didn't feel forced. Yeah, it's there. There is a certain amount that. You can see there's a lot of, at one point, well, obviously, because I watched, there's a little bit, you know, it's, it's a show on Netflix called The Movies That Made Us. Oh, I have watched that. And I haven't watched the Dirty Dancing episode because I never saw the movie, so why would I watch that episode? Right, yeah, yeah. So, but the Dirty Dancing episode shows a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And since this came after Red Dawn, the two had a history with each other. And Jennifer Grey, she comes across as a complete, bitch you know like she just Mm -hmm. felt like she was in the star and she was entitled to be able to pick whoever she wanted meanwhile she wasn't really thinking of who might be the best to play off of her because billy zane was the other option for johnny castle yeah and i could and he couldn't dance to save his life meanwhile you have classically trained patrick swayze who can dance circles around everyone in the cast and Yet, just because maybe he was a dick on the Red Dawn set, Jennifer Grey thing said, oh, no, I can't work with him, anybody but Patrick Swayze. I don't want to be in a good or memorable movie. I just want to be in a movie, you know? I want to dance with Billy goddamn Zane. But the thing that really annoys me about this, about her character, is not just that she's Jennifer Grey, because her only good role was Jeannie in Ferris Bueller, because she had to play a bitch. And she's great at playing it, which kind of shows you maybe who she is as a person. <laughs> that she's that great at playing that kind of a role. And especially the behind-the-scenes stuff you see about her, it's, it all kind of, the pieces fall together to give you that whole. But she is playing a 17-year-old as a 27-year-old. Now, if you want to get into the logistics of why a 25-year-old, which is Johnny Castle, played by a 35-year-old at the time, Patrick Swayze, 25 to 17, as far as I know, is still an illegal relationship. Yeah. <laughs> it's still statutory, even in 1963. But did it, it I didn't, so on first viewing, I didn't, I wasn't sure how old, I, I knew that there was an issue with how much older the character was, but they never make a point to really tell you how old he is, do they? Legally, she's a child. <laughs> she yeah. is a child legally. <laughs> she's a child, but I, I just, I never realized. Like, I didn't think they made a point to tell you. Or I didn't notice that they made a point to tell you how old. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rough. And, but once you get past that, you're like, okay, maybe 1963 was different. Didn't care about that kind of thing. But it's, it's still odd, you know, because this guy yeah. is into manhood. And she is very much, especially with the nickname Baby, you know, she's, because her real name is Francis, you know, but. She is definitely. Oh yeah, exactly. I'd much rather go by baby, but she's she's very much supposed to be like the naive child in this movie, and that's what she plays until she's like awakened to the realities of life with these the poor people. Like she's just the first time she feels like feels like she's interacting with people that she wants to help later in life. Like she wants to join the Peace Corps. Mm -hmm. So this feels like it's the first experience she's getting with people that aren't also rich like her. And you can tell that she doesn't know how to interact with them. Meanwhile, Swayze doesn't really want to interact with her. He might know how, but he doesn't really want to because he just sees her as another rich girl who's just here to dance, you know, or just here to be rich. That's another part where they almost bring up how Patrick Swayze is a borderline prostitute to the 
borderline he is <laughs> there's no borderline he definitely is taking money to do to be a jiggler to these older women <laughs> and that becomes a problem at one point <laughs> it's yeah this so i feel like this movie is almost rom-com chick flick at parts and then gets super real at other parts oh yeah it's it, it's it one of those whiplash yeah it's one of those movies that hits you with the reality in kind of like you're not expecting it like you're really not expecting this back alley abortion to go wrong and for like they even say he's like the guy had a rusty hook and a like a rusty knife and a folding table it's like oh so this was an upstanding organization that she oh yeah you know a medical clinic butcher yeah it's like she went to a high regard medical clinic with uh the 150 bucks or whatever it was but so obviously things go wrong and Jerry Orbeck has to step in and fix things. But it's, yeah, there's a lot to this, this movie that you're like, oh, it's just this dumb movie where these kids, these opposites fall in love and they learn to love each other through dance. But no, there is a lot of the abortion. But then there's the other part that is not given the time it should be, which is the old couple crime spree going on in the background. <laughs> That is the movie I want. I want a spinoff movie about those two people, you know, That's just robbing people blind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we both established that we think, I, I don't think I could replace Patrick Swayze in this movie. Yeah. I mean, obviously since we know the alternative was Billy Zane, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to figure out. I mean, well, who else you There's not let, really anybody you can get. Let's play. Female lead, who would be better in the role? Because I think I have a good one. I mean, go for it. But, I mean, I have to think about it because I think pretty much anybody but Jennifer Grey would be better. And my thought is bring in his co-star from Point Break and throw Lori Petty in. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. But we're in, like, I, I kind of want to see a league of their own Lori Petty. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I'm thinking Tank Girl. That would be fun. Yeah. You know, see her in like the goggles in the post apocalyptic desert wear, just dancing around this country club with Patrick Swayze. That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, I would I would like to see that. I can think of replacements for Swayze if I want to make this movie as like out there as possible. Yeah, I mean that but that's the thing. Like you what this is one of those movies where you see Patrick Swayze in the role and knowing that Billy Zane was the opposite, there really isn't anybody, especially at the time that you could think of that would be better than him because he's, he's a classically trained dancer. You know, he's, if, if anything, the person that would most likely fit dance wise would be Christopher Walken <laughs> because that man's also classically trained in dance and he would have easily been able to do it. But could you imagine Christopher Walken as Johnny Castle? <laughs> <laughs> it would be amazing. Just imagine Christopher Walken saying, nobody puts baby in a corner. Yeah, nobody puts baby in a corner. <laughs> you know, speaking of that line, I love the fact that Patrick Swayze hates that, like, hated that line later in his career. He was like, what well, line makes no sense? It really doesn't, because she's just sitting at a table that happens to butt her seat butts up against the corner. It's not yeah. like somebody forced her into there. I was like, no, you must stay here in the corner because you're on timeout. No, no, that's just happens to be where I also find sitting. it funny how the last dance scene suddenly becomes like a whole choreographed group dance. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's the eighties trope of all of a sudden everyone knows how to professionally dance. But um yeah, it's 
actually, I can think of someone that might have worked, but it was probably a bit late in their career. I don't know if it would even be late in their career. I don't know. But John Travolta may have worked. Like a young John Travolta. Yeah, he would. Around this time, Travolta would have been – he would have still been – pretty viable like he it what it wasn't the slump that uh tarantino pulled him out of with pulp fiction because that was later but, but like um, if, if i had to pick like if you did like a grease saturday night fever john travolta and threw him in this role i think he would have worked it would yeah it would have been fine i don't know if it necessarily would have been as memorable but mm-hmm. it would have been it would have been fine because I'm looking at Travolta now. He would have been doing absolutely nothing at this point. He was doing uh, Staying Alive and the sequel to Saturday Night Fever and this terrible movie, Perfect, uh, which is one of those so bad it's good movies. Yeah. But then then he would have done Look Who's Talking in '89. So yeah, he would have been available probably and. He would have been around the. He's around the same age as Patrick Swayze. He's actually a couple years younger. Yeah, so it it would have been. It wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been that bad. I, I personally like Patrick Swayze better. Of course, yeah, yeah. he's he's definitely he's. But the I think John Travolta would have been the only serviceable replacement. Yeah, and I think he would have gotten the same thing. He would have been. He would have had the sex appeal. It would have been the hunky status. You know, all of the same things would have been there. He just would have had a different delivery and a different hairstyle. You know, yeah. well, not even really, because it's really a slick back kind of greaser hairstyle that he has anyway. So mm-hmm. it really wouldn't have done much to be a, that different. But um, yeah, it's. I think Travolta probably would have been a pretty good, a good, a good choice to put in there. And I don't know, maybe bring. Now I'm thinking about like 87, if you want to swap out Jennifer Grey, because she apparently could kind of dance, but she also, the character has to learn to dance. So that's what she was doing as well. So maybe throwing like my favorite again, Michelle Pfeiffer. So in 87, Michelle Pfeiffer would have been pretty great. So then you have Grease too. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I think there's a few people that you probably could replace in this movie, but the perfect pair is like it or not still going to be the pit you see on screen. You know, yeah. because there's just something about the fact that they hated each other that I think works. You know, <laughs> it really does. Yeah, work. I mean, it makes the earlier part of the movie where they clearly do not get along. Oh yeah, where they have to dislike each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's 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 that's it's it's pretty good because I I also don't think like I said with the spiritual side of the character that Swayze brings to it, which I really do think is probably Swayze because if you look at all of his other characters, there's an element of that with all of them. So Especially it's probably some actually a spirit and ghost. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Except when he's the literal spirit. Yeah. But um. Yeah. And he's just you know the invest. What is it? The investment banker that becomes a ghost. So he's not yeah. really that spiritual to begin with. But um. Yeah. So his, I think he brings that side because that's what he was in real life. He was a very you know he was I believe a was it Buddhism that he was into or like at least the Eastern philosophies I know he was into. Yeah. He was so he brought that to his characters and. To bring that to this character, it seems like an odd choice, but it also works. works. Yeah, it really does work because he's saying... I really didn't even think about the whole spiritual aspect of it before we were talking. But yeah, he does... I mean, like, especially like when in the scene where he's like, feel it with the heartbeat, with the heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all of that. And I don't don't know if anybody like Travolta might be able to do it. He might be able to say the words, but I don't know if I'd necessarily believe him. 
you know it's I, I believe it's lazy. spirituality is scientology <laughs> yeah that would yeah if he's trying to get baby to learn how to dance by believing that uh aliens are waiting for us in their dc-28s or whatever up in space you know it's Sinu <laughs> is the lord of the dance that'd be pretty wild <laughs> but, scientology the musical oh yeah yeah <laughs> So I mean, it works for the Book of Mormon. Why not? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a feeling it'd be a lot more successful with a lot more lawsuits and probably would never get off the ground. <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how much more we can talk about Swayze in, in Dirty Dancing. There's, there's a whole lot else going on around in that movie, like Newman. I completely forget yes. Wayne Knight is in that. <laughs> the first, like, in the first 20 minutes of the movie, I was like, Mom, is that Newman? Yep. Oh, yeah. It's Wayne Newman. Dennis Nedry is in this movie. And it's so weird because he's everywhere in it, too. It's, I was like, oh, this guy's all over this movie. I completely forgot about that. But, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it was... I mean, I don't think it was a bad movie. There, I, I mean, Patrick Swayze obviously pulled it up. You remove him from the movie, and it suddenly becomes a lot worse. Yeah, it, it becomes Grease almost, you know. It's without the campiness, you know, it, it's, it's again, it's your standard rom-com like boy hates girl, girl hates boy. They learn to love each other through the power of dance. You know, like ever, all of us did. We all fell in love that way, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, it was when I was learning to do the worm. Yes. That, that <laughs> is a powerful aphrodisiac. You need to only use it for good. You really do. Yeah. But there's also another thing I noticed with Swayze and the big, the best one is in uh, Point Break, but he has, there's a lot of good walk and talks in his yeah. movies. And he does, he has a good one with Baby in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, he, he's, he's pretty good with those. And it's, it's weird because when you watch him walk, like he kind of walks like he had, like his shoes are too small. Yeah, <laughs> and, I noticed that. He, and it's, it's, I don't know why looking at Patrick Swayze's legs weirds me out a bit because I feel like his pants are always super tight and it's always super noticeable. Always, always. <laughs> and I think, I think, but then I was thinking about it. I was like, you know what? Maybe that's because of the knee injury. Maybe that's just how he walks. But still, like you look at him dancing and like you look at his shoes, you're like, those don't look like big enough shoes for him. Like they don't look like they're large enough. And even in um, Point Break when he's barefoot, you kind of look at that and you go, his feet don't look the right size. They just don't look like they're, they're, they're the right, right size for his body. <laughs> it's odd. It's one of those things that really takes you out. Like, it's one of those things that once you notice it, you can't not notice it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it, it's weird to think about another guy's legs and feet. But, like, when you look at Patrick Swayze. Oh, that's weird to you, Mike? Come on, Mike. It's 2020. Open your mind. <laughs> But, like, you look at him, and it's like the top half of his body doesn't match the bottom half. Well, he's one of those guys that when you look at him initially, you think, oh, he skipped leg day. Yeah. Because he kind of tapers down like a, like a, like a V. <laughs> he goes all the way down. Instead yeah, of just the V shape is not shoulder to waist. It's shoulder to feet. Right, exactly. Yeah, he goes all the way into the bottom <laughs> like, a, like a triangle. <laughs> but, uh, all right, so... That's it. And of course, we'll we'll touch back on other ones. Um, do you want to do a midship beer check in or what? Sure. I am just finishing up my first sixteen ounce can, and I just and finished mine. So you keep talking while I get a new one. I'm really enjoying it. It's really refreshing. Uh, 
it has a good flavor to it, not really overbearing. I, I don't see myself getting tired of this beer. It's one of my favorites I've had on the show, I'll reiterate. And the can is easily my favorite I've seen. It looks like a postcard. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I highly recommend this beer. This is it's really good. Yeah, that's the same thing with mine. Mine was a pretty quick drink. It went down real easy. And uh, Tonewood's a good brewery. I, I love Tonewood. I don't think I've had one that I don't like of theirs yet. It's one, uh, In prior days when we were allowed outside more often, I like <laughs> to go to Tonewood and then grab a beer there, then walk down the street and grab, like, wings or something from uh, the, the – The manor? Yeah, the manor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, they have a nice little setup down there. But yeah, and I'm just lucky that they have like because they're they they're pretty good with the distribution. Like you can get it pretty much anywhere in the yeah, Camden Countyish area. I would say even my friends from like the Tom's River Monmouth area, you can go to the liquor store and find Tonewood. Yeah, it's 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 a good. It's definitely a great beer. They have they've and they have a lot of good options, and it's local. So yeah. all right, so we're both. Still positive on our beers. Maybe we'll find out if we get to number three. If anything changes, I doubt it. But um, yeah, all right, no, so, I, this is a really good beer. Yeah. All right. So on to the greatest movie in the history of films, the 1991 Point Break. Oh, I forgot to list off the Point Break remake when I brought up the whole Patrick Swayze remake uh, hysteria that happened in the mid 2010s. And we were all happier for you not mentioning that. <laughs> that, that movie, movie is terrible. It's god awful. It's it's a YouTube video. It's a stretched Go, out. It's a GoPro commercial for exactly about two hours. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's it's absolutely awful. And yeah, the less said about that, the better. Because it's it's so funny. Because the line in this movie. They only live to get radical, so they'll never get the spiritual side of it. Is pretty much a perfect summary of the remake. You know, it's just oh, how many radical things can we make them do, man? Oh, let's yeah. do that, and and then let's name Johnny Utah, make it a nickname given to him by his YouTube followers. Wow, <laughs> that's profound, man. How do you have a job in Hollywood? <laughs> All right, let's get into the good points. Terrible, but yes. So we will never speak of the 2015 point break again. But um, well, we have to bring up our bad sequel or remake in every episode. Last week mm-hmm. we brought up Speed Two. I'm sure you upset that I brought it up again. You but son of a bitch! You son of a bitch! I knew it was going to happen too. I just knew it. Our little mention of the episode. Yeah, I, I knew it was going to come up. I, I have no illusions about that. But yeah, so Point Break, 1991, directed by Catherine Bigelow. She also did Strange Days, Heart Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, and is famously the the greatest ex of James Cameron. She just keeps shoving that in his face by being a great director in her own and right. I hate James Cameron. Yeah, dude's not great. <laughs> he's not him. a great guy. I, he's a terrible person. <laughs> he's not great. Yeah. But um, so uh, yeah, so. I, 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 say, I, I don't know him personally. I can't say he's a terrible person. I do. He comes over to Thanksgiving every year. <laughs> terrible. He's awful. He gets drunk and he eats all the food. But he did give us Terminator and Alien. Yes, yes. Yeah. His contributions to film are great, as long as, you know, the human being behind that is never shown. The guy yeah. that cannot stop trying to find shipwrecks, you know, <laughs> in various different multi-million dollar crafts that do nothing for anybody. 
<laughs> but uh, obviously for a point break, you know, Patrick Swayze, our man, plays Bodie, who is the surfer, philosopher, extreme sports aficionado, and or bank robber, a.k.a. President Ronald Reagan. And he, this is Patrick Swayze's best role. Easily. And I, Hands down, best role he's ever done. It's not an opinion. This is, this is objective. You can agree with us or you're wrong. Yeah, it's yeah. everybody's entitled to their wrong opinion, which is exactly how this is going to go. If you, if you somehow don't like this movie, if you think it's stupid, you're missing the point. Because it's kind of supposed to be stupid. Yeah. You're not supposed to think this is a high work, a work of high art. You know, I mean, Gary Busey is one of the best parts of this movie. Legendary Gary Busey in this movie. This is this is God tier Gary Busey on screen and doing what I can only imagine. The director said, "Just act like Anthony Kiedis." Yep. Oh yeah. And his character's name is Tone. <laughs> so they didn't even stretch by giving him a name, like an actual name. But, yeah. And this is like primetime drug Anthony Kiedis. Yeah, that's the thing. He might not have been too far off from this character, you know, being a secret drug dealer. <laughs> the one scene when they're raiding the uh, drug house, you just see him laying on the bed, pounding yep. on Yes. Well, he's listening. He's listening to like hard rock, and he's just <laughs> pounding on his chest in his American flag shorts, which I'm actually wearing a pair of right now. They're very similar, <laughs> you know, and, and they're great. I love them. And he's he's like wearing his high tops, and that's it. And he's sitting there on he's laying on the bed, just pounding on the bed to the rhythm, pounding on his chest, you know, like a complete nut job. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we should probably bring up that Ross brought up when he said all they do is live to get radical. They'll never see the spiritual side of it. He's when he's referring to Anthony Kiedis and his friends when they yep. tr when they jump Johnny Utah, aka Keanu Reeves, aka yep. the greatest man alive. That's right. Yeah, War Warchild and his crew back off, Warchild. Seriously, <laughs> and then, then Warchild lets Johnny Utah go, and then he goes, "Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> It's, everybody remembers the back off war job seriously, but no one ever notices the little thank you at the end of it. It's so perfect. <laughs> I love one of his, in, like, one of the first introductions to him surfing. <laughs> Johnny Utah's out for, like, one of the first times, and he's like, well, that's a board. <laughs> that's definitely that, a is, that is a surfboard. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the craziest things about this movie is the backstory of it, because did you know it was based off, partially off a book? No. The book is called Tapping the Source, and it's by this guy named Kem Nunn. I have read the book. I actually read it last year. My friend Brett uh, lent it to me. And it's a great book. The only thing is, it's not entirely the same as the movie. The movie added the FBI stuff, the bank robbery stuff, and the, um, the whole... <laughs> yeah, they, they, added a they added a lot, but they, they added the whole, um, basically like Lori Petty's entire character is completely not a thing. And instead of it being Johnny Utah, it's this kid who's looking for his missing sister. And he it kind of, he gets in good with this guy, Hound Adams and his crew. And how, now Hound Adams is the Bodie character. Yeah. And he does teach him about surfing and the spiritual side of surfing. And all of that aspect of it is still there. But instead of the bank robbery plot, there is this weird sex cult that goes on and it's 
it's the strangest thing. It doesn't quite come out of nowhere, but it kind of comes out of nowhere. What is with authors and being like, why do I feel like a lot of authors want to include sex cults into their film? Yeah, it's, and that's the thing with this, if it's weird because when you read the book and having seen the movie first and having seen Point Break so many times, you go into it going, oh, this is the book that inspired the movie. And as you're reading, you're like, okay, where's Johnny Utah? Okay, where's where's the FBI part? Where's the bank robbery? But what is this sex cult doing here? You know, it's Wait, none of I this had, stuff. I had sense. that. I had a what is this doing here moment to the maximum level when I read it. Oh yeah. Oh, so you're talking about the famous child orgy scene at the yeah. end? Yeah. Listen, <laughs> I did not know anything about that when I read the fucking book. What yeah. the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it's that's what cocaine does when you write books on cocaine. Like, <laughs> I can't look at Stephen King the same way ever it's, again. There's a lot of weird shit, you know. There's a lot of weird shit when you look. I was never movies. super into reading Stephen King, but like, my god. I mean, I, I love the guy's writing, but yeah, there, there's a lot where you can definitely see his, his drug period, but yeah, this, this, but Kem Nunn apparently did not write this on drugs. Like he grew up in California. I think it was Huntington beach. And he wrote it basically as like, you know, a local writing this book and now like the seedier side of Huntington beach area. And I'm not saying it's accurate portrayal of real life in Huntington beach, but in the 80s, it very well might have been. Who knows? The but, 80s were a weird time. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I doubt there, I mean, it's LA's a weird place, but I doubt there was like a sacrificial ritual around the sex cult, you know, which is kind of how the book, the big crescendo of the book, but it's, so yeah, so to see this movie and know what they, what the changes they made, it's great because they, they made the perfect changes for the material. It's like, okay, we'll take this basic idea of this nobody this hayseed essentially falling into this surfer crowd. And then we'll just kind of come up with some secret shit. That's not involving a weird sex cult and having it be a secret surfers that are secret bank robbers is genius. It's just awesome. (laughs) I will. My biggest issue with this movie is where the fuck does Rosie come from? Rosie just shows up about like, (laughs) 60% 60% through the movie. <laughs> Rosie's, Rosie's actually there. He's there in the beginning. He's not one of the crew, but he is shown fairly early. Um, but yeah, the mechanism. Rosie is like a mechanism, man. He's got this gift of blankness. You know? <laughs> that was my one problem with the movie. Like, even, like, Keanu delivers some lines so, like... Perfectly? <laughs> perfectly, you mean. You mean perfectly. But, it makes the movie perfect. Those quirks make the movie perfect. <laughs> yeah, and that was early Keanu, too. Like, that was only yeah. a few years after Bill and Ted. So he's trying to play straight, and it, it's very stilted. But it's, it's so perfect. It, that's what makes it. That's what, like, the bad part is. Like, my cousin is 19. He, he, he is not a fan of Keanu Reeves. I don't know if he straight out hates him, but whatever. But he has seen Point Break. And he will tell me, he's like, he's the worst actor I've ever seen. It's like, well, yeah, but when you look at this movie, it works perfectly for the tone of the movie. The character is not supposed to be a seasoned agent. I I don't think I could replace an actor in this movie. No, you really can't. And aside, well, maybe Anthony Kiedis. You could put Flea in there. I would put Flea in for Anthony Kiedis. (laughs) Yeah, I would swap out uh, Tone, Anthony played by Anthony Kiedis, for 
Flea-based. Uh, no, by his, Flea. his name could just be Flea. It's still Flea. Right. Yeah, it's just Flea. Flea, yeah. Flea just wandered on set. He didn't even get a character. Right. <laughs> yeah. Flea playing he himself. wandered on, and they're like, oh, they're about to beat up Keanu Reeves. I think that'll be fun. Right. Flea playing himself. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, even like John C. McGinley. I perfect. love John C. McGinley. <laughs> perfectly cast as Hart. Yeah, perfectly cast. It's it's so good. That whole speech in the beginning, because Swayze doesn't really show up until about probably about half hour, forty five minutes into the movie. Kind of like Sandra Bullock showed up in Speed uh, last week, because he's the big he's the big reveal basically. He's so he's got to be held off. We got to see Johnny being a, an agent first. Yeah, and. It's yeah, his heart's whole speech in the beginning to uh, to Johnny Utah about how all of his agents are clean. They don't smoke. They don't drink. They don't do all this stuff. And then we get my favorite line, which I said last time. My favorite line in the movie is, "Sir, I take the skin off chicken." You know, it's it's <laughs> one of my favorite. It's my one of my favorite lines the Keanu has ever delivered in his whole career. But then seconds after that, he picks up a donut that's like covered. It's like one of those like glazed, but like. There's some like clearly some other shit going on on it, and he's yeah. like, "Oh, I love these." <laughs> and bite. It's kind of like, did you not hear yourself? <laughs> one, one of my favorite parts is when it happens almost immediately after that, when you see uh, Gary Busey diving for bricks blindfolded. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I have no idea what an old man diving, what a blind man diving for bricks is supposed to be about an FBI agent. <laughs> and he starts trash talking uh, Johnny Utah right in front of his, right to his face because he's right. blindfolded and doesn't. Yeah. He can't see, can't see it. And uh, who right. can forget when they first bring up the whole surfing thing and Johnny jump or er, he jumps up on the desk and acts like he's surfing. On Busey, it. yeah. Busey jumps up. Busey and jumps up on the desk. Yeah, it's yeah, that's and that's his big theory that the bank robbers are surfers because they have um they only hit at certain points of the year and there is a uh there are certain chemicals that show up in the hair samples that they make that are specific to one beach which leads them to be the the surfers that are the ones that are doing this and it's it's great because they're also the ex-presidents. They are uh Nixon, LBJ, Reagan and Jimmy Carter. <laughs> and, uh, the crook. that's right yeah and and Bodie uh Patrick Swayze plays Ronald Reagan. he's Ronald Reagan he's the head of the gang and he's the driver and uh they never hit the vault they have this they're like they're in and out in 90 seconds and it's yeah but Bodie as a character is one of those characters that he you shouldn't he work. A bad guy, you because you want right. to root for him at every step of the movie because yep. he so goddamn likable, and he's you just cool. Being a cult leader, like, yeah, he's just a cool guy. Like, like you really don't. He exudes charisma yeah. to the point where, like, the fact that he is a sex cult leader in the books, I'm like, yeah, he has all the mannerisms of what would likely be a cult leader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hound Hound Adams, yeah, in the book is like that, but it's it but Hound Adams in the book is also described as like a massive kind of guy. He's not a Swayze described like he's not described as like a Swayze type. He's just this massive like he's kind of kind of resembles like the Undertaker. Yeah. Like the wrestler of the Undertaker. Like that's kind of how he's described. Which if you want to picture somebody who's like six ten on a surfboard, you know, being graceful i they need like a nine <laughs> foot surfboard 
Yeah, right. He'd been on a long board using it as a regular board. But um, but yeah, so Swayze in this, he's he's one of those guys, like those characters where like like you said, this guy, you want him, you're almost rooting for him the whole movie. Mm-hmm. But he's also playing the villain, but he's not really a villain. Like you can see him. I, one thing I do really like is it's not really a twist that he is the villain. You sort of expect it. And yeah. it's revealed pretty early in the movie, relatively. Yeah. Like, you know that Johnny, you know, I think you know before Johnny does. Like, you know before Johnny Utah knows like who these guys are. I hate to make the comparison, but I, if you've never seen Point Break... A good comparison is rooting for Dominic Toretto in Fast and the Furious when you find out that he's the one stealing from the trucks. Right, because that movie is Fast and Fast and the Furious is Point Break with cars. Yeah, that's it's replay surfing with cars, and that's what it does. And uh, I mean, you, I could not think of a replacement for Patrick Swayze in this movie. No, no, that's and that's the thing. There's that's, not even a serviceable replacement. You take Patrick Swayze out of the movie, and it's. What do you have? Not nothing. It's just the way he the way he delivers all of his lines, his charisma, his character. The like you feel like this guy is real, and you feel like he's had a relationship with Lori Petty in the past. You feel like he he's just kind of guy. It's like yeah, that was in the past. So now I'm doing we're doing our thing. Johnny, go for it. Have fun. But like you don't ever see this guy as being an act or a character. He, it, it, you don't see him as Swayze playing somebody. You see him as being Bodhi. You know, he really does inhabit this character and it, it's phenomenal. But there's also the amount of, there's the part of Bodhi that it, you, he comes across as almost like he doesn't want to live the life that he's chosen to live. Yeah. And there's a certain line he obviously says because at one point towards the end he finds out Johnny Utah is an FBI agent. Johnny knows that he's a bank robber and all that. Well, as he say calls it as an insurance policy to keep Johnny on a leash from arresting him and all that, he shows him a video of Tyler, who is Lori Petty, who has been kidnapped and she's being held by by um, Rosie, who is the met the mechanism quote unquote of the and game he, he gets he's in the heavy. thing where he's like i hate this i i you think i want to hurt her no, i don't want to do this man i hate violence she we, she was my woman we shared time like that's what he says and you you absolutely get the feeling that he doesn't if he had want another to choice if he thought he had another option he would have gone with that easily right and yet this is the same person who has no trouble, A, orchestrating what he's just done and put the video, but also he has no problem shooting people. Like yeah. in that final bank scene, there's no problem shooting somebody when he sees that he's taken out, like the undercover cop that's taken out the rest of his crew. He mm-hmm. has no problem putting bullets in him. But And even like, uh, I, he's, I mean, he's a cult leader, essentially. Like he's so likable. Absolutely. He's so charismatic. And you get the feeling that he doesn't want to do anything bad, yet you keep seeing examples of him doing bad things. Right. And it's almost like he doesn't and he doesn't really do it reluctantly. Like yeah. he's all for it. Like it's the adrenaline and the rush. Like they're all for robbing these banks. And like he gives a speech of what it's all about. He's like, it's never been about the money. He's like, we're it's we're, the system that kills the human spirit, man. We're doing it for those guys. And people, those people driving in their metal coffins. Metal coffins, that's right. It's a great speech. 
it's so out there though. Like when you read it, you go, Oh, this is just some like surfer talk about a guy who doesn't want to get a nine to five and thinks that nine to fives are, you know, like the drones, the worker drones, the cubicle people, you know, but it, it, it's, it's, it's almost stereotypical and cliche, but the way he delivers it, you go, damn it. I'm with you, Bodie. You know, I agree. Why do I have to go to work in my metal coffin? You know, and the other thing I could serve. Even though Johnny is, like, his rival in this movie, you get the feeling that he genuinely does care about him as a friend and doesn't want to hurt him. Right. With that, but at the same time, it, it's what makes me laugh because in the, in the, the, they have a night football game when they first yeah. meet each other. And Johnny Utah is a former Ohio State Heisman Trophy winning quarterback and who blew out his knee in the Rose Bowl against USC. And it's apparently a legendary game. Everyone knows about Johnny Utah. And Bodie, after Johnny Utah tackles Bodie and his rest of his crew kind of goes, yo, man, you take it a little bit seriously, don't you think? And they kind of get in his face. And Bodie's like, hey, back off. You don't know who this is, do you? This is Johnny Utah. And it's like, okay. So Bodie, A, big football, college football fan. Two, knows it's Johnny Utah. And D, is very much familiar with the man's life wouldn't you think he would know where Johnny Utah went after college? <laughs> and there's also a big point that after he forces Johnny Utah to do the uh, bank robbery, that uh, <laughs> that uh, Gary Busey sort of frees him instead of bringing him in. You think the police would have realized, hey, they freed Johnny Utah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the FBI is. The, as much as Hart thinks so, they're all they're not quite on point for yeah. Uh, and then you get another typical, movie with another. You have the typical like mean guy cops, like the more try hard alternative to the two buddy cops that you follow. The dicks, the dicks who were dicks for no reason. Yeah, you know? and then like they're sort of a joke because like halfway they a what is what's the point of them like about halfway through the movie. <laughs> Yeah, they're just there to, like, you know, do a stakeout and then be part of a raid. That's about it. And but, um, even, like, during the raid, <clears throat> they almost don't act like they're the dick cops anymore. Right. Yeah, they're they're suddenly, you know, capable agents. But um, no, what they wrote, they remind me of that, that too, are they um, – they remind me of the rival uh, garbage men in Men at Work. Yeah. <laughs> Like, the guys that are playing the pranks on um, Emilio Sears and Charlie Sheen, like, the yeah. airbags full of shit in the lockers. That's what they remind me of. Like, the, these guys that are just, like, angry to be angry because the other guys are the main characters of the movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The main – what they remind me of is uh, any other guys. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Rob Riggle and Damon Wayne yes. Jr. characters. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hope you like prison food. And penis. <laughs> like, I can see one of those guys what, saying What's the story Rob Riggle's telling when they're driving to the one scene? <laughs> oh, about the bar mitzvah, where he has yeah. to take the, he takes the hood off his, uh, takes the hood off and gets out, he gets to zip up and get out of there. Yeah. yeah. What'd you do? He's like, I ran like hell. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. It's like, yeah, bar mitzvahs, man. <laughs> I love the other guys. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's another one. But, uh, yeah, so it's, it's funny because there's there's so many cliches in this movie about cop movies. You know, the, yeah. the cliche, like, dick boss. Hart is the overbearing dick boss who just seems to be a dick for no reason. And he hates the new guy. Uh, I will say that uh, John C. McGinley, 
freaking love him in Scrubs. Dr. Cox is one of my all-time favorite TV show characters. The dude's just a great actor. Like, he, he's great in every role, even when he's, like, little roles, like in Seven and um, The Rock. Yeah. You look at the guy, that's awesome. Great. They got John C. John C. McGinley. Awesome. I know he's not going to have many lines, but I'm going to have fun watching him. You know? I, <laughs> and especially for him to play hard in this movie. He's almost like adding like a nice little seasoning to a movie. Exactly. And he's yeah. never the main dish, but he, he's a little bit of that, uh, that good pepper, like the freshly ground pepper. Yeah. He's, so on. He, he is great. And he plays the role that he's playing perfectly at the hard ass. You know, he's, he's really great at that. And there's so many, like I said, there's so many attributes of this movie, like Tom Sizemore coming up as the uncredited DEA agent that's been embedded with Warchild and his, and his crew. You think he's I been like working for, these clothes? You think I like this hair? You know? <laughs> but he's like seen pouring beer on Cheerios like before the raid goes through. He's so deep covered that he's pouring beer on Cheerios to stick in. You know, he can't even go with milk. You know, like these guys wouldn't drink milk. <laughs> they would pour beer on their Cheerios. But I just mean, to see him pop up. not much, like, Patrick Swayze is the perfect casting for this movie. I couldn't think of someone to replace him. Really, Absolutely. Uh, if you take Eric Busey out of the movie, you take Keanu out of the movie, it is a totally different movie, and I don't know if I'd like it anywhere near as much as I like this. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. If you take, and that's the problem, like, right, like I said, we never mentioned the remake that should not be mentioned. But in the remake, there isn't a single character that is like an actual character. They're just stock types. There's a guy named Bodie. There's a guy named Utah. You know, these guys are all there. The characters are there, but they're not characters. They're just the the blank, dead-eyed, good-looking actors of the time who signed on thinking this might be their big break because, oh, point break, everyone's going to want to see that. They love the original. Well, yeah, there was a reason why people loved yeah. the original, and it was because of Swayze and Keanu and Gary Busey. You know, all of these little elements make up this ridiculous stew, and it works perfectly, you know? And now, that's I have to, not I have to bring up my uh, been to Bells Beach, Australia. I was there. There you go. <laughs> uh if I ever have an opportunity to bring up Australia, I will. I there. No way Bells is bigger than Waimea, bro. <laughs> 50-year storm. Can't believe we didn't bring that up yet. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's that's one of my favorite parts at the end of this movie. Because the 50-year booty believes in the 50-year storm, which is the – there's apparently some big weather swell that sends a giant swell of big old waves that will – meet at uh, Bell's Beach in Australia and be the biggest waves you've ever seen and it's the ride of your life. It's the ultimate ride. And what to feel the ultimate rush, you gotta risk you gotta risk the ultimate. You gotta pay the ultimate price. Yeah. And so he goes there after the events of the movie essentially and he's gotten away. Keanu's been tracking him across the globe apparently and then he finds him in Bell's standing in a rainstorm watching the waves, waiting for his set is what he says. And they get in a fight and all that because he can't handle a cage, man. Like, he's not going to jail. And so they get in a fight. Utah cuffs him. And he says, you know, he's like, you got to let me go, man. I can't go in. He's like, just let me go out in the water. Let me get my set. He's like, there are cliffs on both sides. What am I going to do? I'm not going to paddle to New Zealand. You know, that's, I think, my second favorite line in the movie. <laughs> it's definitely my favorite Swayze line. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite lines in the movie is – uh 
Actually, John C. McGinley is when he goes, he's like, oh, you're just young, dumb, and full of cum. Young, dumb, full of cum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. But, uh, I also really like when he, the skydiving line. <laughs> he's like, oh, the acid in your mouth line? What? The acid in your mouth line? I know you want me so bad, it's like acid in my mouth. No, no, no. I was actually talking about where he's like, he's like, some people, he's like, some people object for it, some people. If a line for it, all you got to do is jump for it. Right. Yeah, and there's there's so many of these, like, there's so many of these, like, no fear t-shirt, like, motivational poster, like, lines in this movie. Yeah. But none of them feel stupid. Like, none of them feel ridiculous. You yeah, know, this is, like, the epitome of one-liners in an action movie in the 90s. But it works. It works so well. Like one, right. of my, one of my things with speed was I like every time one of the one-liners were thrown, I felt like, oh, that's a that's just a cliche right there. And I never feel that way with this movie. Yeah, it's it, it, right. It there's no part of this movie that ever feels forced. It feels so natural that all yeah. of this stuff. It's almost like Catherine Bigelow walked up with a camera crew and just found these people, you know, and it's. It's it's crazy, and I know a lot of people will knock this movie for being so bad it's good, but it's not, in a way, it's not bad. It's, yeah. it's a generic action movie, but it's got these great actors and performances. It's a character-driven movie, not necessarily a story-driven movie. Exactly, and Swayze is right there at the top, and he comes out on top over peak crazy Gary Busey. Yeah. You know, he out-acts and is more memorable than Busey in this movie. And it's funny, we brought up all the things that Swayze can do, like he's a singer, he's a dancer. He's also an avid skydiver. Right. And yeah, they kind of had to tell him to knock it off for insurance purposes. Apparently, well, he was like banned from skydiving during this movie. He's all, he was only allowed to do one actual dive in the movie. And it's the one at the end. Yeah. Uh, before Utah catches up to him. But apparently he would sneak off like on his off days. And apparently at one point I read he bullied Gary Busey into going with him once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude, come with me. I, wi- I just want to. I want a documentary movie of Gary Busey and Ke- uh, <laughs> Gary Busey and him going skydiving. I want to see the argument. I want to see the convincing. I want to see what Swayze said to get Busey to go with him. Like that. That had to have been some kind even, of miracle yeah, speech. Even the uh, the famous where uh, he where. He jumps out of the plane with a parachute and leaves Keanu on the plane without a parachute. And Keanu jumps out, catches him, and then they parachute down together. Famously it, says, fuck it, before diving out of the plane. Yeah. <laughs> like, this well, is my only option. <laughs> Travis, so Travis Pastrana, our modern evil Knievel, actually attempted that jump and succeeded. Because obviously if he just attempted it, he'd be dead. But he succeeded. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think Mythbusters also did that thing like, like the conversation wouldn't have been able to happen, but had Johnny Lou Utah been able to streamline himself, he would have been able to catch up. You yeah. know, so he, he very well could have done it. But yeah, so I'm looking at other options for at least it says Johnny Utah in this movie. And originally, apparently Matthew Broderick was thought of for um for the role That's, of Johnny Utah. So Ferris Bueller would have been That's Johnny. Utah. A- it's, I, I it's, mean, it would make the movie funnier, probably, because why would it be laughable? 
I think it would might have made it one of the worst movies ever made because <laughs> it would have been this weird dead blank spot in the center unless he played it like as Ferris, like yeah. as the like as the cool guy, you know, playing it. But that's not what Johnny Utah was. Like Johnny yeah. Utah was kind of like this like naive little hick boy. <laughs> yeah. No, I. At the same time, though, it was also Johnny Depp was also an option. Charlie Sheen was also an option, which of course it was 1991. Charlie Sheen was probably considered for every movie. Val Kilmer was also for Johnny Utah. Now, here's the one that got me. And we've mentioned him before, but I couldn't see him playing this role even even as hard as if I thought for days on end and only pondered this, I couldn't think of it. Willem Dafoe as Johnny (laughs) Utah. There's no goddamn way. Do you realize how crazy that movie would be? You would have Busey and Defoe in the same movie working all together in the same scenes. Now all I can think of is Johnny Utah as a crossdresser. I mean, I'm just picturing like Defoe's smile when he's like when he just picture Defoe doing the scene where they have to go get hair samples. <laughs> and he has to go up to the one guy and say, dude, don't move. You have a big sucker about to crawl into your ear. And then he rips a guy's hair out. And then he smiles like, oh, save your life, bro. Close one. Like, <laughs> could you imagine? This his character from the Boondock Saints. Where, <laughs> right. Like, I, Johnny Utah just sort of listening to classical music as he explores a crime scene. It would be nuts. I... There's so much about that that is initially you read that and you go, that's insane. Somebody just put that here because it would be funny. The <laughs> cross dresses to get in with the uh, the war dog crew. Oh god, yeah, with War Child's crew. That would oh man. There's there's so much about that. Just just a foe in general and the way he plays characters. Now maybe if they replace Busey with the foe. Now that would be that would be believable. I can see that. If you have Defoe be the Busey character, that would be, yeah, he'd be a lot better, I think, in that role because he's a lot, he's a lot more suited to be the, mm. cra- the crazy person, you know? Wait, how old is Willem Defoe versus Keanu Reeves? Well, Keanu Reeves is, I think Keanu's almost in, he's almost 50, I think. He's okay, Defoe was, Defoe was born in 55. So, uh, so Defoe is younger than Patrick Swayze? The hell? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, by three years. So he's Defoe 65. Whereas uh Keanu is like I said, he's a much younger dude. He is 64 is when he was born. So he's what nine years younger? Yeah. So he's in his fifties. So yeah, that would at the time that would have been a it probably would have been about the same, you know. It, it I don't think it would have been incredibly different. But for some reason, Defoe has always looked old. Yeah, Gary Busey's got 10 years on Swayze, so he's got 20 years on Keanu. Yeah. So it would be a little bit closer, but Defoe's got that weathered, you know, baseball glove look, so he looks older than he is. But, yeah, it's – him playing the Pappas role would be pretty great, but to have him as Johnny Utah, no. holy shit, that would be insane. You know, to I, I don't know if Patrick Swayze could act opposite that i don't know even with his infinite charisma as Bodhi, i don't know if he could yeah, if that that would, work. i would just i would just imagine him laughing at every time defoe tries to act like a surfer dude oh it would be hilarious i don't think they'd ever get a straight take you know it would never would have happened it would be a full-blown comedy at that point 
Absolutely. And that's Absolutely. not to take anything away from Willem Dafoe because he's a great actor. But oh, yeah. for this role, he just does not work. No, no. And that's the thing. There's, there's so many people, and obviously like Charlie Sheen being another one. I mean, I'm sure he would have been just fine as Utah, but it was <clears> there's just something about the way that Keanu delivers lines in this movie that it's what makes it. And he just what plays a naive guy. Getting on the plane, he's like, he's like, that's the blood leaving your body. You're going to die soon. Yeah, it's because all the blood's leaving your body, Roach. That's I'm so cold. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's why you're cold. He's, that's exactly right, Johnny. It's because he is leaking all of his blood. You know? <laughs> Thank you for that. It did it. Your FBI training is paying off. And then we didn't bring up uh, – Tyler is also really good. She, she is. She, she's Lori a very love interest without overbearing the story as a love story. Well, yeah, she, she is a certain damsel in distress after a while, and she is a plot point that needs – she is kind of the part that joins, you know, Utah and Bodhi. Yeah. But she is very much her own character. Like, she very much does not want to be hanging out with the guys that she's hanging out with because she thinks they're just testosterone. She even says there's too much testosterone here at one point. Yeah. You know, she, she thinks these bros are just like – they're just children. They're surfing children, you know, essentially. Now, whether or not she knows that they're actually bank robbers, too, I would say is debatable. I don't yeah. know if she actually even knows that, even though she probably should. <laughs> she I should probably definitely know. Through my watching, I don't think she does. No. Yeah, it. she really does. Because, obviously, she's in the dark about Utah being an FBI agent until, you know, so she, she finds his badge in his pants. <laughs> she's incredibly... Uh, not gullible uh, she's she's kind oblivious. of i think oblivious yeah she's more oblivious if anything because she's she's not trusting at first like she really hates utah at first she yeah. thinks he's just an old man's gonna get himself killed surfing and now and lying he, about lying about his parents being dead that's a yeah that's a, yeah that's kind of the a greatest point for johnny utah in this movie no but, you know, it's it's almost, you know, you can almost pass it off because it's part of his character, you know, yes. his undercover character. You know, he's supposed to be trying to infiltrate this group and he's found a weak link that he can push on. But yeah. it's, you know, it, yeah, if he was just trying to, you know, nail her with that line, it's despicable. It's gross. Yeah. But it's it's almost serviceable in the sense that he's he's trying Doing to get in good. Job, sort of. Right. Well, he's not trying, you know, just to get laid. He's yeah. just trying to infiltrate the group and they happen to fall in love after that. Yeah. You know, it's it it's he's not it's not sleazy up front, basically. Mm -hmm. And all right, so yeah, we've established that Patrick Swayze is the standout performance in a movie filled with standout performances. Obviously, yeah. Like he, he even like outdoing Gary Busey in prime Gary Busey's pretty hard. It's no small feat. It is no small feat. And then you have Keanu in his almost cheesiest, but still works incredibly. He's still figuring out how to be Keanu at that yeah. point. Like he's not a John Wick. Like John Wick Keanu doesn't miss a beat with the act like with action one-liners like he, right well yeah he's got he's got a 40-year career at that point yeah. You know? <laughs> but yeah, <it> um <laughs> yeah th this is a man who's fresh off of bill and ted for the most part he's only ever done really comedies <laughs> yeah 
and it's yeah, it's Keanu, and we'll get to Keanu's career uh, a few episodes from now. But um, he's he's great, and it it really does show the chemistry that those two have that um, Swayze and uh, Keanu had, and I think Swayze. With all of his aside, well, he makes it work with Jennifer Grey and dancing and Dirty Dancing, mm-hmm. but with all of his co-stars, he seems to have a great chemistry with. Like he's a very good co-star, you know. Yeah. With him and Demi Moore, like him and Demi Moore and Ghost, they are very. You can you buy these people as a couple, and you buy them as like new love and all of that stuff. It's so my. It, my comparison was sort not with the character, but with splitting the screen was with the other guys. Right, not the other, the outsiders, the outsiders. <laughs> so is he Mark Wahlberg? Or is he- <laughs> yeah, he's. <laughs> imagine him. Imagine him as the captain. Imagine him as the Michael Keaton character. In the That'd be pretty guy. great. I can see it. That'd be pretty great. But um, so. In The Outsiders, while he's nowhere near as prominent of a role as he is in Point Break, that is the closest of him sharing the screen with a bunch of other talented, younger versions of talented actors. Yeah. Yeah. And trying to see that, it would be be interesting to see if they did that movie, like, in the mid-90s. Like, say they did that in 92. And with the same actors, same everything. That means you would have peak Cruz, peak Swayze, peak Rob Lowe. Yeah, all of these characters would be at their peak. It's weird. Tom Cruise, like, I, when is his peak? I, he's, he's been great for about two decades now. He really doesn't – I don't think he has one. He's been high. He's been for three decades now. It's 2020. <laughs> yeah, almost four. <laughs> almost four decades. It's, it's been a while. You know, Cruise is up there. He's, 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 he's one of those guys that, like, his personal life – Makes you think that his movies fell off at one point, but they didn't. He made maybe, uh, maybe there's something to this whole Scientology thing because I'm not sure Cruz has aged since 1992. Dude, you say that now, and we're gonna put this online. It's you're gonna get kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna be now that people are listening to this. I'm gonna be in the search for a new host, and I guarantee it. <laughs> but yeah, so like if you do, if you put all these people together. I think at the peak of their careers, it might be even better because Swayze would have more time to, you know, refine his chemistry. Because when you look at his earlier stuff, Red Dawn kind of like, it stands out for me because even though he does have that spirit part of it, because like the spirit of the deer, when they have to, they make C. Thomas Al drink the deer blood. That's all there. But there's this weird part where he... He's very much acting like by himself. You buy that he and Sheen, uh, Charlie Sheen are brothers, but mm-hmm. they don't have incredible chemistry. They have good enough serviceable chemistry, but you don't really get that. There's no Bodie, Utah chemistry right there. But yeah. when you get into Roadhouse, he's essentially acting on his own there because all like Sam Elliott's his only real friend in that movie. And, and, and then he's he's again it's like the philosopher bouncer there mm-hmm. and he even has a philosophy degree from nyu that character so that's all there <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like i feel like he probably i feel like uh, patrick says he probably has a philosophy degree i probably does i mean we probably did but so there isn't really anyone in like i was saying there isn't anyone really in um roadhouse 
that he's really acting against. So his chemistry with the other people in the movie is great because he's doing it like in bits and pieces with everybody. And the little scenes that he has with everybody are great. Like it's you believe setting that he never him and Gary Busey never have a full blown scene where they're talking. Right. Yeah, it's it's just at the end, you know, but before you know Busey gets shot, but that's just because they're in the same scene. They're not really interacting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have yeah, the one interaction they, is the after the post fight with Warchild. <laughs> yeah. That that like a Gary Busey <laughs> a, that scene like National a, Treasure. Patrick Swayze scene would be incredible. The man's a national treasure, Gary Busey. He really is. He is. Too bad he's completely insane. <laughs> but I mean, hey, can't hold that against them. Yeah, I mean, we're all gonna be there at one point. But yeah, so it's it's great to see Swayze in movies because when you see him, and even like Donnie Darko, when I mentioned I watched that, first time I'd ever seen Donnie Darko, I was it, I saw him in the cast, think it's oh it's Patrick Swayze, it's it's two thousand one. Maybe they had him be a fairly prominent character in that movie. No, he's just a self help motivational guru all and or alleged child you know pornography peddler but the way he plays that character he's got that Swayze charisma and he's in the few scenes he's in you go wow that's Swayze you know it's that's what he brings to a role even a tiny role like that you're still going to get the guy who can say six seconds Utah we're going to be meat waffles like it's that that's the same actor, you know, and both performances are really believable because I think Swayze was just that good at being the person that he the character or the role that he took on. Like you never really get the sense that he's half-assing it in anything. Yeah, no, no, Swayze. It's just like, I feel like it's almost just his personality shines through. Like he is just that likable of a person, no matter what role you throw him in. And yeah. like his philosophy kind of makes sense to the point where you're like, he throws it in there and he's so likable and charismatic. You're like, holy fuck, this dude is making sense. Yeah. It's, and it's weird. And even in the situations where it shouldn't make sense, like a bouncer in a shitty bar, yeah, you know, it's like, that shouldn't make sense, but it does. You know, when he tells them all to be nice, you go, all right, I'm a bouncer in this war zone. I guess I'll be nice to these monsters, you know? <laughs> all right, so beer comparisons. Yes, <laughs> All right. Well, you go first for Dirty Dancing. What kind of beer this, is Dirty this Dancing? This is kind of a tough one. Um, I feel like Dirty Dancing is almost like a Miller Lite. Okay. Where it has a standout moments, but overall, it's a little below average. Yeah, it's... I would say Dirty Dancing to me is... For me, I know you mentioned it last week. Uh, I forget what movie you mentioned it for, but Dirty Dancing is kind of like a White Claw or like a like a Spike Seltzer. Yeah. Because at first you think it's for just for girls, just for women, mm-hmm. and then you you drink, you have a couple of them, you go, oh, these aren't bad. These these work in certain situations, you know. Yeah. Um, I was thinking like, maybe a White Claw because I ended up. So last week I was gonna say Miss Congeniality was a White Claw, but ended right. up with a Summer Shandy. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 
but yeah so like when when you think about dirty dancing you go all right this is it's at first you're like i shouldn't like this i'm not supposed to like this society doesn't want me to like this and then you have it and you go you know what maybe maybe societal norms aren't what they should be and maybe i'm okay with this movie maybe i'm okay drinking this but then you really think about it and you go I'm not okay drinking this. It's fine for this situation. It, it, it's fine, but the, right. flavor, the flavor's not there. Right. It's like, I'm fine right now, but I'm not going to feel good it, after It doesn't this. fill me up. I can drink a lot of them, but I'm not really enjoying any of them. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing this to impress my wife, is what my thoughts would be. You know? <laughs> but Point Break, on the other hand, what about that? Um, so, so I try to keep it to... Uh, widespread beers for my comparison and point break is a blue moon my favorite widespread beer (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) all right it's refreshing it's easily drinkable it's easily accessible people that don't like beer seem to like a blue moon on tap with a little bit of orange in it it's great (laughs) yeah point i would i would be inclined to agree i would just say point break for me would be any beer that I can drink, pick up and drink and immediately like, like regardless of any time I'm drinking it, any situation, any kind, I go, this beer is perfect. You know, I love so this beer. When I'm, so if I'm at a bar that I'm not familiar with, I don't know how they make their drinks. I don't know what beers are on tap. My go-to is to have a blue moon on tap. So you figure out what you want. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, for me, it's like probably if I'm going to compare it to anything, I would say it's probably like a mid-range IPA, just something that's not incredibly hoppy, but still, you know, great. I can I can put them away. I can enjoy them. Yeah, like something. I mean, something. Just something I can enjoy, regardless of a situation. Anytime I pick it up, I'm going to like it because that's that's Point Break. At any point picking up this movie i enjoy it it's not like okay i gotta sit through this to get to this no point part one beginning johnny utah in the rain perfect 100 percent shooting given that thumbs up that he gives that perfect gift moment from there to the end i i love this movie beginning ten, top bad top ten, this movie bottom, is whatever. this is i'm trying to think of all the movies we did this is one of my I would say either this or uh, Goodwill Hunting would be some of my favorite movies that we've done so far. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, it's Point Breaks, obviously number one for me, and then Speed number two for me, just because it's and I don't know, it's probably like we've like we've been falling over. It's it's this is the backdoor pilot for Keanu Cast, by the way. It's it's Keanu, <laughs> it's it's Keanu and. I, I am a sucker for an early 90s action movie. They were, they were the movies that I grew up with. They were my childhood movies. Arnold Schwarzenegger is my favorite actor of all time. There is no comparison in my life to other, anybody other than Arnold Schwarzenegger. I love that man and I love his movies. But if we're going to go for number two, it's going to be Keanu and any of his early action movies, especially these two. My top three movies that we've done so far. I, in no particular order, are Goodwill Hunting, uh, Point Break, and probably Men in Black, because I fucking love Men in Black. 
That's a good one. Yeah. And <laughs> now, that thinking, now we mentioned it. It would be interesting to see Will Smith in the Bodie role. Like to see Will Smith play a surfer, that'd be fun. Just to see how it is. Fresh Prince in the I just couldn't imagine him robbing a bank. It'd be the, it would be his first like action movie too. It'd be before Independence Day and everything. Yeah. It'd be it'd be right at the beginning of Fresh Prince, you know, it would it would be pretty great. But yeah, so I think, yeah, I think um for at least these two movies, I think the, the general consensus is that if you, A, haven't seen them, you definitely should. And B, if you have seen them, you should probably rewatch them as soon as possible, especially Point Break, Definitely just to see Point how great Break. he was. If, if you like Dirty Dancing, rewatch it. I thought it was a decent movie. I didn't it's, think too many of the people in it were super likable besides Patrick Swayze. But I just feel bad for Jerry Orbach. That dude, I love Jerry Orbach. I do love great. Him. Again, late great Jerry Orbach, but I feel bad for his character, Jake. The dude, yeah. the dude's just trying to enjoy his vacation, and he gets sucked into a whole, a whole world of and, and kudos, kudos to him on the whole fathering thing with uh, his daughter. Clearly, can't tell him why she's borrowing the two fifty, but he he trusts his daughter, and he's like, okay, okay, I'll give you the two fifty. Right. It's a good, it's a good reason that she can't share. But at the same time, he's also shitting. He's like making jokes to the waiters, like, "Oh, she wants to join the Peace Corps." Ha ha ha! Isn't that isn't yeah. that funny? She wants to help poor people. It's like, come on, man, really? <laughs> like, it, why is that a bad thing in the in the sixties? You know. <laughs> All I think when I think of Jerry Orbach, I think of uh, John Mulaney skit where he brings up how Jerry Orbach was a uh, eye donor. Jerry Orbach's <laughs> eyes. It is a very, uh, it's a great, great. He bit. is. He gave his life to acting and his eyes to two people in New York. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry Orbach, Law and Order star. And again, great, late, great actor. But uh, all right. So we've, we've thoroughly covered these. You know, you want to do a final beer check in or what? Um, I finished three cans of my beer. I'm about to grab my third. So discuss your beer right now. I absolutely love this beer. It is really good. Again, it's Seaside Summer Wit from uh, from Glastown Brewing Company, uh, right in Millville, New Jersey. They have a 4.8 out of 5 stars on Google. Highly recommend them. I really have to try more beers from this place because I love this beer. Yeah, I I concur with everything about same thing about Tonewood. It's I'm great. I'm gonna go grab another beer for my mug. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I'm I am a fan of Tonewood. It's it's a great brewery. Great small brewery in Oakland, New Jersey. It's you know, it's it's just great. There's there's a tiny tiny like this little concert on the cover on the label of my beer. I kinda wanna be part of it because it's in the middle of this little forest and there's a little lake. These two guys like laying in what looks to be a kiddie pool. I'm guessing it's some sort of raft. But uh there's these giant giant mushrooms on the side and ah, there's kind of like now I'm looking at it, there's these giant worms and there's this <laughs> giant bug. Yeah, there's there's some stuff going on in this label here that I didn't really see before. But uh um, it sounded like some Alice in Wonderland stuff that you're just looks trying. like it. Yeah, it kind of looks like it. But um yeah, this concert looks pretty dope. I kind of want to be part of it. There's a uh weird there's a six-piece band going on stage so this might be like a jam session kind of thing but we might be actually getting to uh the whole disney thing in <laughs> not super soon but eventually yeah we'll we'll get to it when we do our animation month at some point but um 
And All I'm right, sure so it at some point prior yeah. to that too. Yeah. So. All right, so our beers are great. We love them. All right. Now, we were trying to come up with... companies. <laughs> yeah. We were trying to come up with a, a good idea since Patrick Swayze, even though he's, since he's unfortunately no longer with us, the only thing we could really come up with was trying to figure out what movies, had he not gotten pancreatic cancer and had he survived to present day to be an, act, an active act working actor in Hollywood, what kind of movies would we have wanted to see him do in the time, obviously in, in, uh, in the time since 2009 from up till now. And I, we, we considered movies that came out between 2009 and 2020. So current, I guess, post Swayze movies. So we got to think of, we're, we're thinking of somewhere around a 55 to or 57 to 67 year old Swayze. Well, I'm just saying, current Swayze, you know, yeah. just just no, no. I was just laying out the parameters that it's roughly that age range of Patrick Swayze. Yeah, but you know, he's he's part of the Hollywood Illuminati. They would have found a way to keep him young, you know. But so, like, my first thought because obviously he would have missed all of the MCU. Like, he would have agreed on. The, like, we brought we actually talked about this a little before the show, and this is the one that sort of came up that we both came up with yeah yeah he would have been ego the living planet from guardians of the galaxy 2 right kurt russell's role which we imagined would have been a good swap for other stuff but yeah i think he would have been great role in the modern time it's sort of soup it, it almost feels very uh very country type where i just don't think like i i don't think swayze would have fit in kurt russell's role in the uh hateful eight no, no. I I would have liked to see him play like more of a sinister villain as opposed to Bodie, who's like your lovable villain. Yeah. But I would have liked to see him play like a hardcore actual villain, you know, like somebody you kind of want to hate. Maybe mm-hmm. if we're going to you know, since we mentioned uh, Tarantino, let's say you swap out Christoph Waltz and Inglorious Bastard for Patrick Swayze. The only thing is, I can't see Patrick Swayze doing a German accent. I I can't see him playing a terrible person, you know? Now, <laughs> now a counter to that is swap out Leo from uh, Django. Oh, Django, to have him play Candy? Yeah. Yeah, that would that might have worked. I think that would have been that would have been a good switch. It's it's weird because when you think of Swayze, you don't think of bad guys, you know? Yeah. You, you don't Bodie, even really, even with Bodie, he's not really a bad guy. You know, yeah. he's just a dude that happens to be on the other side of the law from mm-hmm. our from our ostensible hero, Johnny Utah. And he only really kind of becomes bad in the last twenty minutes or so when he kills people who killed his friends. So. Right? Yeah, when he when he, uh, when he uh, shoots the undercover cop. But yeah, but it's 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 stuff like that. Like his character. Like I'm trying to think of characters that would have had, say, a spiritual side to him which he definitely would have brought to all of his roles. So one of my things was, um, have you ever seen The Descendants with George Clooney? I have not, but I'm, I'm kind of familiar with it. Like, I, well, I know the general George idea. George Clooney plays a single father living in Hawaii. His wife 
is in a comatose, never going to wake up state. And it turns out that she got this way. She was cheating on him and everything. And he's sort of trying to establish a relationship with his daughter. And because he was always the one that was working a lot. And the wife was the one that was with their daughters a lot. Right. Okay. And I think Swayze could... I think the spiritual side would come out with him there. I think uh, we saw in a uh, oh god, what's why can't I think of the movie where he's raising the three sons and uh, what do oh, Swayze? Yeah. Oh, uh, it's Wait. it's blank. I'm blanking on that. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, it, it's the girl that loses her memory after she falls off a boat and he's like overboard. Oh, <laughs> overboard. <laughs> he was in. He was in. That was Kurt Russell. Oh, that was Kurt Russell? Yeah. Okay. See? See, this is the thing. This is what happens. That's, that's where the, the swap I did happens. say Kurt Russell and him were interchangeable. You'd think so, apparently. No, so I was like, yeah, that's, that's overboard. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> there goes my sort of comparison there. <laughs> well, I mean, it does fit with the fact that we, uh, we think that it'd be great uh, to well, swap. I'm saying, there goes my comparison for Swayze, why I think he would work in this role. I should have looked right. into that a bit more. Right. Well, and that's the thing. Like as I was, as obviously we're watching Swayze movies, I'm looking at his filmography. There is a um, a post show correction we need to issue that um, I think I mentioned last week that we mentioned that pa- I I said that Patrick Swayze I don't think he's ever played a cop. He's played several cops. They're just in things that no one's seen. <laughs> They're just in, and also he plays one in a um, a Jaw Rule video apparently. <laughs> that he wisely went uncredited in. But yeah, it's, I think for Patrick Swayze, I would, and we mentioned this again before the show. And again, it's, it's another Keanu role, but I would swap out Keanu for Patrick Swayze in John Wick. I would like to see a Patrick Swayze, John Wick. Now he kicks ass in Roadhouse. He, he does. kicks ass in, in, um, Don, in uh, Red Dawn. He kicks ass in Point Break. So he's very capable of doing the action scenes. Now, an older Swayze doing some Krav Maga, doing some, you know, close gun kata and like all that, like all the gun fighting that Swayze, that uh, Wick does or Counter does as Wick. I think Patrick Swayze as John Wick would have been a really interesting choice because he I definitely could have brought, he could have brought like the spiritual side though. I'm like, I, I feel like, so every time I think of Swayze, I think of him growing into his character. While I see John Wick as a more, he's going back to a character he was before the movie. Okay. So that's like, I just, I'm just not sure I see Patrick Swayze, like sort of go, like I see him, John Wick sort of found spirituality in his wife and found peace. And I think Swayze's always a character looking for peace. Like he's looking to live a life where he's at peace. And I just don't see him going back on that to go kill a bunch of people. Well, see, that's where I, I think he would. I don't think, I think the character would be, he would be a thoughtful hitman. Mm-hmm. Like he would be a, a hitman with philosophical ideas. Like you could see him talking to other hitmen about like the philosophy of being a hitman. You know, you it, it wouldn't be so much a revenge tale as it would be a morality tale. 
You know, okay. like it would be along the lines of you killed my dog. Here's why I'm justified in killing you. you know? <laughs> I mean, li- listen, killing a dog, like John Wick has the best motives. A, of course. a person that killed 70 something people in a movie ever had. Like, right. Yeah. The best motives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If it's, someone hurt my dog, I could go on a 70 person killing spree. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty decent motive for a lot of, um, a lot of revenge, I guess I would say, but yeah, but Swayze would bring a certain amount of. It's a weird. It's a weird because you don't you don't picture a hitman as being philosophical, but he would he would bring a certain amount of, and also with the the reluctance to be doing what he's doing, like he would be that conflicted hitman. You know, he'd be the guy that's like, you know what, I have these skills, I'm this good but I don't want to be doing what I'm doing, man. You did this. You made me do this kind of thing. And it would be interesting to see how he brought that almost like Bodie as Hitman. That would be kind of the role I would want him to see as an older, like an older Bodie. That would have been pretty interesting, I think. So a movie I came up with in the franchises a little bit, Hamish from the Hunger Games. <laughs> really? That's the uh, Woody Harrelson role, right? Yes. Okay. So, if you never read the Hunger Games books, I the way Hamish is sort of described, so they actually get into why Hamish is the whole alcoholic that he is, and essentially... Is when it because he, he used to work at a bar in Boston? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Perfect. He, uh, he competed in the Hunger Games. He was in a quarter quell. He was in the pre... So, like, you watch Catching Fire, they're in the, the 75th Hunger Games, which is the third quarter quell. Every okay. 25 years, they do something special. Uh, and he's in the second one. And what they did for that was they, instead of taking one boy and one girl from every district, they take two boys and two girls from every district. Okay. So, twi- yeah twice the uh, contestants that year. And now Hamish, apparently, he was a young, attractive man, pretty well built, with curly hair, and he exuded confidence, and he had a smile that everyone loved. Patrick Swayze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does. And, uh, essentially, up, so it comes down to him in the one – or. In the arena, he has a uh, alliance with someone from the district. It wasn't a romantic thing like uh, Katniss and Peta, but it was sort of they built a mutual friendship and they became alliance. And he watches her die. Right. And in the la- the last kill in the Hunger Games is he runs away and finds the border of the arena, and the last girl who's trying to kill him throws an axe at him, and it goes off the edge of the arena, bounces back up, and hits her right in the face. Okay. And the government doesn't like that that's how he ended the Hunger Games. So they go to District 12, kill his little brother, kill his whole family, kill his girlfriend, and leave him there as sort of a drunk, depressed shell of him for, of his former self. Okay. So I imagine Patrick Swayze as sort of a refinding the passion that he finds in Katniss and Peta. Like he's like, oh wow, I might be able to help someone this year and gets a little bit more sober, not totally sober, and sort of refines his sort we'll call it his spirituality, because that's what we've been saying for Swayze, how he does his characters. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And, and obviously, you know, the way movies are nowadays, it's all about the franchise. I think he definitely would have gotten sucked into some sort of franchise. 
obviously the biggest one would be the MCU. He would, he would, there's no way he wouldn't be part of the Marvel Universe. I mean, Wait, especially I, like... We lost it for about a minute there. Oh, yeah? Okay, well, I'll just go back and say uh, there's no way that Swayze wasn't part, wouldn't be part of the Marvel Universe. You know, they've gotten everybody. They got Stallone. They got Glenn Close, for Christ's sake. You know, they're mm-hmm. in it. <laughs> but there's, there's so many roles, I think, in that universe that he would have been great as playing. And obviously, he would have been playing the elder the elder characters in that movie. So he probably would have been just say he, it comes down to him and Jeff Bridges and Iron Man. If he would probably, if he were as Obadiah Stane, it would have been an interesting role because he would have been, he probably definitely could have brought that reluctant villain aspect to it. But yeah, yeah where Obadiah, where uh, Jeff Bridges played. Now I think Jeff Bridges is one of the best villains in the MCU. He is. He's good. And, He's very much the sinister, like, evil, typical. He is the prototype for the evil businessman villain in the MCU that they like to use. And Swayze would definitely, like, have immediately thrown a curveball in that where he becomes more reluctant. Yeah. Yeah, he he would have. And him playing off of Robert Downey Jr. would have been interesting, you know, just to see how – just to see the dynamic between those two would have been pretty and, great. So, like, with Jeff Bridges, he's, like, even when he lo- seems like he's trying to be likable, like the scene where he's talking to Pepper Potts and he's, like, really invading her personal space. Yeah. He comes off as super menacing. If you throw Swayze in that role, he's probably comes off as totally charismatic and, like, oh, I have no issue with him. like. It's a different kind of menacing. It's yeah. it's not the imposing that Bridges is. It's more of like a snake-like menacing. Like yeah. this guy, this guy is very ulterior motives here. Like he cannot be trusted. You know, he's yeah. he's and very he, different. He cannot be trusted, but you want to trust him. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like there's there's a, there's so many roles. I think we were robbed of. Now, him. I another role that I think he'd be great in and it's tough for me to say because I think the original actor is amazing in it and that's Ulysses Claw. Uh Andy Sherkis? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That would have been that wouldn't have been bad. It would have been a small he would have gotten Ultron and Black Panther. Like that would have been interesting. Yeah. He would have been fine in those. Uh, yeah, I think that's the thing. I Swayze and like Donnie Darko is what pops up obviously because I just watched it. But he has a very bit part, almost a cameo part in that movie. And yes. to have to have him play a cameo like in like a smaller role like that in the MCU, that would be I think that'd be good, but it, you'd almost want more from him. Like you'd yeah. want him to be a bigger and I, mean, I wanted more from Andy Circus because I think he was incredible as Claw. Well, yeah, he's awesome. I mean, and obviously Andy Circus is most famous parts are when you can't see him or when he's behind. Andy Serkis, we should really do an episode on him because he is a fascinating person in Hollywood. He's the reason why mocap is the way it is. Like he's the guy that pioneered all that technology. And yeah, he's, he's famous for playing monkeys, which is kind of crazy. Monkeys, uh, a little, uh, a little deformed uh, hobbit. Uh. Like a little creature. Like a little, uh, yeah, greedy creature. But, yeah. So, like, seeing Swayze in a, like, in a role like that would have been interesting. But 
I don't know. You almost want more from him. And I mean, if you're going to go for it, it, I think now that I think about it a little bit, seeing him as Hank Pym would have been pretty interesting. That would have been good. Yeah. Instead of Michael Douglas, another, you know, giant eighties actor, it would have been, it would have been pretty great to see Patrick Swayze like de-aged down to, um, Brody. Roadhouse, Roadhouse, you know, age or um, yeah, you know, ghost age or uh, even Dirty Dancing age, you know, Patrick Swayze mm-hmm. against Paul Rudd, the ageless man. <laughs> you know, now I, this one sort of just came to mind, and I don't know how it would work, but imagine Patrick Swayze and Don't Breathe as the blind man. Yes. As the guy that they go, the guy that they go to rob. Yes, that would be pretty awesome. I think that would have been pretty sweet. If you, in him in a decent horror movie would have mm-hmm. been pretty good. You and look, it, but again, every time I think it's like that guy, though initially sort of the victim, c- turns out to be a wholly unlikable monster. Yeah, I he's... can't imagine Swayze as that. <laughs> though I think it would be awesome to see him like that. Well, that's the thing. We never really saw him as that. I mean, again, like I just mentioned, Donnie Darko turns out to be a secret child kitty porn collector, which is obviously horrible. But it's, yeah, to see him, I would like to see him in one of, like, our, I guess, our more modern contemplative horror movies. That would have been pretty, that would have been pretty wild just to see him play that role. He would, it would have been a stretch for him. Because I don't think he would have been able to bring the, the his wheelhouse, which would be the philosophy side of it, the charismatic side of it. Having him play out of type, like to play a villain or like a creepy, scary it's, character. It's kind of interesting because like you think, oh, why do they typecast actors in Hollywood? And then we're trying to think of roles that we throw Patrick Swayze in. And we're like, that's not his type. Right. Exactly. And like trying to, but also like trying to think of stuff that would test him or bring out a different aspect of him. That's is, like, is in terms of a villain in a horror movie, I think Don't Breathe would be a good one. That would be a good one. I mean, that's a great, that's a good movie as it is, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think that would have been, that would have been a pretty good, that would have been a pretty good fit for him. And, or just something along those lines where he plays something other than either the hero or the likable villain. I would like to see him in a role where he's completely unredeemable and mm-hmm. he's just complete bastard. Like we mentioned Candy and Django Unchained or yeah. as Christoph Waltz's character in um, Inglorious Bastards. Here's another one that's not a villain and is pretty likable. But think about Wolf of Wall Street, almost playing the McConaughey role, or <laughs> well, as a McConaughey role, that would be like I think that would have been a pretty good cameo. Yeah, he could do the whole chess thing. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that whole thing. Yeah, but, but yeah, that Belford. Yeah, it, it, so he probably played... would have been too old for the role. Yeah, I mean, yeah, DiCaprio is kind of much more age appropriate for that yeah. role. But um because really he's probably about twenty years older than DiCaprio. Yeah, yeah, they're they're different generations. But I think I think now just to to kind of sum up here, 
I think in general, had we gotten a full, healthy, full life, full career of Swayze, I feel like it would have been more along the lines of an Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of career. Because Schwarzenegger obviously took time off to be governor of California, came back and started doing very similar roles that an older Schwarzenegger probably would have taken, like older action roles, a lot of sequels to his classics, The Expendables, you know, stuff like that. But then he would do stuff like Maggie, which is he's the father of a zombie child in that movie. And so to see Swayze do something like that or have a career like Arnold post-governor has had, I think that would be really interesting because it's a lot of roles that you wouldn't peg him to do. We brought up last week how we would have, like, imagined Speed if Bodie was, like, essentially a more maniacal Bodie as the villain. Yeah. Yeah. And that's those are the kind of roles that I would have loved to have seen Patrick Swayze in. Like, he would have been so good. I think he, yeah. he would probably be considered, nowadays, he would have been considered, like, I mean, he's not the action type that Arnold was, but I would say he'd be more of, like, a likable Bruce Willis. Yeah, like the things that he would be in would be interesting, but you'd also like the character because the person behind it would be a good dude, as opposed to a complete jerk like Bruce Willis is. <laughs> Another one that, again, it wasn't a very good movie at the launch. Uh, it, in fact, it starred John Cena. Uh, and uh, actually, it has a little finger from Game of Thrones. Oh, uh, what movie are you talking about? Twelve rounds. Twelve rounds. Oh, I've heard of that. I think I might have actually seen that. I might have been drunk it's, when I saw that. All right, so now, now hear me out. Replace John Cena with a more seasoned Keanu Reeves as okay. the detective. Okay. And replace Aiden Gillen, which is Littlefinger, yeah. with an older Patrick Swayze. And Patrick Swayze is leading Keanu Reeves on almost a game where he is basically a terrorist murderer. Interesting. Yeah, that would have been, yeah, wow. Yeah, that would have been, I think he definitely could have done it. It, That's the type of role that I think he could have done because he would have had obviously some sort of motivation for what he's doing and he would have made it reasonable like he, he would have somehow found a way to make that character believable you know and because mm-hmm. that's what Swayze did he made ridiculous characters actual people like yeah. the character of Johnny Castle is inherently a ridiculous character because he's um, an old man by you know in comparison to baby who's a child mm-hmm. you know he's a guy who's seen the world who falls in love with this child because of the power of dance it's a ridiculous uh, set up. Oh, another another movie that does not exist, but I really wish it would. Some sort of buddy comedy with Patrick Swayze and uh, Kevin and, Hart. Uh, <laughs> and Patrick what? Swayze and Kevin Hart. Yeah. No, 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 no. Chris Farley. Like so. Oh, okay. Yeah. So expand upon that um, SNL skit. Make it a body comedy. Make that like their undercover uh, thing. Like their <laughs> undercover scene where they both have to dance to be Chippendales dancers. They infiltrate some sort of drug a Body comedy with Patrick Swayze and Chris Farley. It would. 
I, I feel like we would talk about that movie like we talk about Tommy Boy. Like we right. would look back at that movie, and be like, "Oh, remember how great that was." <laughs> <laughs> that that is a movie I wish existed. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think that would be a pretty great one. That's probably that's probably a good point. A uh, good point to end on. You know, yeah. Just just go out on the high note. That is Patrick Swayze, Chris Farley, buddy comedy. Chippendales. That would be the title. Chippendales. <laughs> Undercover Chippendales. Just think, just think of it like a like a a spiritual successor of the Blues Brothers or yes. Wayne's World. Expand upon an SNL character and make a funny movie out of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah that that would be. I think that would be pretty legendary. Um. So yeah. So that's been that's been our episode on Patrick Swayze. Uh, it's been. Uh, it's been fun reminiscing about a career that we, a man that we lost way too soon. And way too soon. Just a legend. I didn't even get to grow up with him. You got to grow up with him. I did. I got to, I got to see Peak Swayze. And it was, I, it I was saw great. Point Break maybe 20 years after it came out. Yeah, like, I was, I was, I was nine like when, it, when I saw Point Break, probably. Yeah, I was nine when it came out, but I know I was like 11 when I saw it for the first time because it was another video store rental. It was one of those. It was, oh, God, I love that movie. You know, the first time the first time I saw it, we rented it with my dad. Yeah, and that's, that's a good father right there, inducing your son, uh, inducing your sons to a, good, a, a classic movie. But um, so, yeah, so consensus is, you know, Patrick Swayze, gone too soon, great man, great legend. He is, he's, his body of work speaks for him for itself. And uh, he is Bodie, one of my all time favorite movie characters. Of course. And uh, so that brings us to the end of this month's theme of one actor, two performances. And I think Mike, we should probably take, cause we have a holiday weekend coming up 4th yep. of July. I think we should do something thematic to 4th of July. We should probably come up with some sort of, I don't know, an Independence Day type movie. Or we should do... That is a great idea. Or we should do something involved with America, maybe. We should should come up with some way to honor America. A patriotic movie. Yeah. So we'll we'll come up. We'll we'll toss that ball back and forth uh, if we do our show prep for next week. But just to give you a little tease as to what's coming after that in our next theme, I uh, will say, we'll just give you a theme. It's called Bad, Better, Best, where we, we will take, yeah, we'll take an actor. Three movies from them. Right. One of them is one of their worst of their body of work. Possibly the, next, the worst. <laughs> the next is a average to good piece of their work. And an then we go for movie. their best acclaimed movie and we discuss all three because sometimes discussing a bad movie is more fun than discussing a good movie. No, oh, absolutely. And we have, we have the lineup picked. And I think if we want to give a clue as to who our first bad, better best is going to be, um, I would say that the best way to do it is that uh, King Kong would lose a fight to him probably. <laughs> I would say he is my man. There you go. All right, all right. <laughs> so that said, this has been Happy Hour Films. I've been Ross Bacon. I've been Mike McLigan. And we will see you guys next week. All right. So long.